0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
1: A lot of
2: good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. And you'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it.
1: As far as the president is concerned, um, he's uh, uh, our, our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So, I, I uh I, I think
0: it was it's not a good idea. Whoa ho, ho fastball down the plate. Acts I think they ought to get a room.
2: Yeah, well I want to speak up for morbidly obese people. <laughs> yeah, uh, hallelujah. On your behalf, Murphy. Yeah. No, behalf. no,
0: no. We're we're a big voting block, literally.
2: Yeah. Well we got a skinny guy to join us today, uh Thank our God. old buddy Rahm Emanuel, former mayor uh of Chicago, and uh we uh, welcome him and also someone who knows uh Pelosi, well, so what do you guys think about this? I, I mean, in a sense, it's a it's a another little blip along the way, but on the other hand, to me, it reflects something larger about Trump, which is with the emphasis
1: know, on the word larger.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, not <laughs> obese, but going large. for the
0: callback. There you go, professional <laughs> comedy from the mayor of Chicago. But it's catching on. Nancy's playing a. I mean, that's a Trumpian thing for her to say. He kind of kinda corrupts everything he touches.
2: Plus, it get it get. You know that that just really pissed him off, and I'm sure that wasn't lost on her. But the bigger thing is Trump, a guy who has basically built an entire career on flouting rules, laws, norms, and institutions. And increasingly, here as people get restive about the really uh, horrific sacrifices that they're having to make, uh, he is uh, basically saying, "Screw the experts." I'm not going to keep anybody from taking this drug. I'm going to take this drug. I'm not going to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. Uh, you think you can open up? Open up. Who's going to stop you? I mean, yeah. this thing has taken a very Trumpian turn. And the question is about what are the politics of that?
0: Well, the key is you dip the quinacorac, whatever the hell it is, in a little bit of Clorox or Lysol first. It helps it go down <laughs> easier. But it is, look, tr- Trump is a grievance politician. He's got to be against something. And remember, the the geopolitics of this are, at the beginning, this has been stronger in more urban Democratic counties. So Trump's playing to his folks out in rural America who haven't had quite the pain in most places yet, because this thing can move, saying, I'm not going to let a lot of, you know, eggheads with bow ties on TV tell me what I can't do. It's classic Trump, and, of course, it's horrible. Even Even though the eggheads with bow ties work for him.
1: I think when you put the trilogy that you put together, not wearing a mask, not practicing any social, just still handshaking and then talking about and then taking this medication. It's definitely part of his anti establishment. This is what all the experts tell you. You just go on and do what you want. On the other hand, for him taking this medication. I hear there's horrible side effects. So I'm all I'm all in. I I know I want to know the doctor with that uh, I wanna make sure I get the name of the doctor, because I don't ever want to visit them whoever they are I'm taking them off my HMO list okay yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I think it's kavorkian i'm not my sure.
1: preferred so whoever that doctor is i want the name publicized so i can make sure they're not part of our uh, my Doctor, my medical network
0: well is that the guy remember he got famous on cable the original trump doctor with the fright wig and yeah oh yeah is that the guy no 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 oh, he's no. ready for a comeback i
2: think this is the white house doctor what's very clear is that he insisted on taking it i think what happened is he got exposed yeah. and he got f- afraid and he wanted to and he and he heard on on uh right wing uh you know he read on right wing social media that this can help you And he insisted on taking it. It seemed pretty clear that he was in a negotiation with his doctors over this. And he insisted on taking
1: it. No, there's something weird here. Somebody in the family network has an investment in this company. He denied that yesterday, but. You
2: think he would not
0: tell the truth to the American people, Ron? No, come on. <laughs> a president of the United States here. No, part of it, though, is Trump works on anecdotal information. All he needs is one doc to call him up and say, I treated 52 people with this, and, you know, they all got better. Wet streets cause rain. It's a miracle pill. Don't believe what the know-it-alls of CNN say. And so being Trump and being a coward and being afraid— of course he took some. Now, if he has a heart arrhythmia or any rhythm issues, he's really screwing with his health because this thing is a safe and effective drug for malaria. But if you got electrocardio right. rhythm issues, this thing is real trouble. So, you know, uh, it's just
1: irresponsible. This is not good medicine. The full for this, yeah. It's also yeah. like,
2: you know, I, I used to uh, say, you know, when presidents speak, it sends armies, it could send armies marching and markets tumbling. You know, he's obviously shuffled the rules here because he'll say anything. But in this case, when he tells people stuff,
1: there are people who listen. Mm-hmm. And that's really a dangerous thing. Well, remember, Clorox and Lysol, the companies had to put out warnings right. when he said what he said to tell people this is not a safe medical practice. I mean, so yes, he can have, there are people tune in who are, and there is also anecdotal evidence of people going to their doctors. Prior to this, when he was on to this high horse three, four weeks ago, saying, I want what the president's recommending, actually Mm -hmm. asking their own doctors.
2: But it does set up into this kind of traditional rubric that he likes, which is the Democrats, you know, acting responsibly, you know, listening to the experts and the scientists sitting in their uh, Tony uh, homes and waiting out this thing while he's, you know basically giving them the finger and saying, you know, we you, do what's good for you. Do what you th- would do. It's good for you. It, it is
0: it is the, you
2: know, classic Trumpian formation. Yes.
0: Yeah, the same bunch of snowflakes who get all worried about global warming and tell right. me I can't drive exactly a, a seven thousand pound uh, truck.
1: This fits the storyline, the narrative when his government put out the guidelines and that same day he then tweeted, liberate. Minnesota, Liberate, Michigan, right. and Virginia, undermining the very premise of having a set of guidelines that would be benchmarks. So, look, this is how he plays it. He plays, a, a, I'm your voice. If you're angry at all this, I'm your guy. And it's his anti establishment. And uh, I think we got to be, that's why I think we got to flip this argument about reopening on the Republicans, because I don't like where we sound reluctant and we uh, resistant to the idea of an opened economy. I don't think that's a good place for Democrats to be.
2: Yeah, and I think that's where he's trying to drive this thing. You know, it seems to me we're headed for a big confrontation down the line here, because he and his party are insisting they're going to have their convention in uh, in North Carolina, in Charlotte, in August. That uh, there's no question, hell, hell or high water, we're going to be there. We're going to have this convention. Uh, the governor has uh said he uh he he can't see it the the mayor of charlotte very concerned about it um you can see this being kind of an epic clash that he promotes and meanwhile the democrats the week before will do the responsible thing and have their convention remotely and so on snowflakes uh, yeah the snowflakes <laughs> but murphy Look, you think that he actually is going to get away with uh withholding his convention well
0: he's got enough yes men and morons around him that he can he can pull off something he goes gets a hockey arena and does one of his rallies i'm not sure it'll be a full convention because the mayor and the logistical apparatus of charlotte has a lot of ways to appropriately slow this down but you know trump needs it needs these crowds so it's going to be a train wreck now the tactics i'd recommend to the dems Rather than go for the high-minded approach, I'm kind of with ROM, which is get to the guts of the issue on offense, say, you know, you're going to kill 100 cops because we're going to have 7,000 security people there, and you're going to force them to stand around in cramped hallways, you know, guarding you, and you're going to kill a bunch of them. And I go big and loud
1: with that. Cop killer Trump. He's for reopening the economy, and we're sitting there being reluctant, resistant, and hiding behind Dr. Fauci. I think we should be for rebuilding America. And then have McConnell says, not so fast, let's slow down, et cetera. Make them the people that don't want to do right. something. Grinch. We should be, I mean, you know, as uh, I've always believed, you want to beat something, you got to have something. And I don't like our party in this kind of culture. This is now going into a cultural argument, less an economic argument. He's for reopening, simple. And we're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa yes, but, you know, but. And I'd rather be us. No, I want to rebuild America. And have McConnell say, hey, not so fast. Let's slow down here. And that's where we flip the seat on. Right now, we're coming off way too culturally tone deaf to how people have to pay their bills.
0: Yeah, it's the old nanny state thing, which we ours have been able to play to the hilt forever. You know, the the know-it-alls in Washington don't trust you to stay six feet apart and know what the hell you're doing. They'd rather have you lose your house in a bankruptcy in 100 days.
2: So what happens? So what happens now? You know, uh, the president said this is going to go away, vaccine or no vaccine and so on. What happens when the fall comes and like every expert and I and obviously I hope they're wrong. I pray they're wrong. But every expert is saying there's going to be very likely, almost certainly some kind of surge in the fall.
0: And uh, so then then what does that do to the whole dynamic? It could be very bad for Trump because the math of it is, remember, you guys get the bulk of your vote from only 10% of the counties. So your counties have had it worse early because they're dense and urban. But the Republican mid-sized cities and suburbs are behind on the curve because they're not as dense and social distancing work. But if you start opening up, the thing spreads. That's its purpose. That's what it's great at. Three point eight people per one. And so it'll start to hit red state America. And right now the debate in rural Michigan is I'm I'm starving to death because the, the nanny state guys shut everything down and, and panicked. But when uncles and aunts start getting really sick, it's a different politics even there. And that is what the second wave could look like, because it's going to go into herds that have a lot less
1: resistance because fewer people have
0: had it. You know, that, that's the the, 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 mm-hmm. the math, medical science of it. So it's a real risk for Trump.
1: Look, everybody knows, even if you continue this stay at home, which is, in my view, was a blunt, ins- it was the right thing to do, but still a blunt instrument. Come the fall. You're going to get this a uh, second wave. No pandemic has not had a second wave. The question is when you have the pandemic plus the flu, are the healthcare systems up and running? On a pure political terms, it is going to hit actually to the core. And the hospitals in ex and rural America right. are limited, and there is not the healthcare system that uh, academic and scientific and urban centers have, research centers have, etc. And there are not the hospitals. And the healthcare systems in rural America, and that's going to have a real hit, especially. And we haven't talked about this. Rural America's older. Biden's doing better among rural voters, yeah. and this is going to give Biden even more juice in the fall with rural voters, rural older voters.
2: This is such an interesting thing. You know uh, what what Ron Brownstein calls the Biden inversion. Biden is, is is struggling to get to where he needs to among younger voters, but he's beating Trump among older voters, which was a Trump stronghold. And uh, I have to believe the virus is a piece of this because older people feel Mm -hmm. vulnerable. And he seems like he doesn't have his shit together. He seems cavalier about the whole thing and political about the whole thing. And I think it's probably hurting him with those voters.
0: Well, it's a huge gift to Biden because he's playing in Trump's end zone and it's a lot harder in politics to take away stuff. The other guy normally gets than it is to get the laggards who are usually for you to fall the line. So if Biden can exploit that and hold it, it, it's, it's
1: a gift. Take the three States in the upper Midwest here, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And let's just then take Arizona and take Florida with all four, all five of them have a, higher than national numbers as it relates to older people. Biden's the first Democrat since Al Gore to be running competitive with voters 65 or older. And if you fast forward and the president continues to say, well, it's going to happen, whatever. He's basically communicating to if you're above the age of 65, you're on your own. All you need is 4% of that vote. That's a very rich 4%. You got a couple of counties. Boom. You yeah. can see it in Michigan,
0: which is the one of those states the thing has been through pretty big and hard. Trump's numbers are are shit there, and yeah. you know Wisconsin can look just like that. Pennsylvania's already bad, and Florida.
1: And it's not just out of Detroit, though. The reason Michigan, it's not. It's coming out of Battle Creek and some of these other right. areas that right. Democrats do not. Democrats' basic entire approach in those parts of the state are limiting your losses. Now we're starting to kind of put some points on the board and be
2: heard. So I got to talk to you guys about the sideshow, uh, if it is a sideshow uh, that has uh, developed over time, and there's some question as to whether it's. it's Can I say uh, one in, thing, David? Yes.
1: I don't think the president's morbidly obese. I just think he's obese. I, I think morbidly was the oversize on that. Right. Um, well,
0: thank you for elevating the conversation. <laughs> well, if you eliminate uh, the the fright wig hair, there's ten or twelve pounds that could probably tip him right back over the scale to regular obese. <laughs> So it's a borderline case. Uh, It's
2: it's a waistline case is what it is, not a borderline case.
0: We're going to have wave two of this, which, look, I I don't like heads of institutions doing barnyard school insults. So I think pox on all their houses, though. Trump started. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. on. We're going to start hearing. I guarantee you. (laughs) I think they should shut it down and and declare a a, a victory on that one. What about Obama
2: and Trump? Uh, Obama and Trump. Let's listen to... Oh,
0: Obamagate, huh? We're going to Obamagate. We're going to get to that.
2: Let's listen to what uh, President Obama had to say in these commencement speeches over the weekend, a couple of shots from there. More than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that
0: so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. If the world's going to get better, it's going to be up to you. Do what you think is right. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that way,
2: which is why things are so screwed up. So Murphy, uh, our buddy Karl Rove and others on your side were uh, were incensed by this, that this this unprecedented attack of, of by one, uh, by a former president on a on a sitting president meanwhile the sitting president has accused the former president of committing the crime of the century suggesting he should go to prison uh blamed him for the um blamed him for the epidemic because he hadn't uh, or the pandemic because he hadn't developed a test for coronavirus this covid-19 even though he left 3 years before the virus
0: surfaced i mean come on man <laughs> well, I thought he was talking about Chuck Schumer, but yeah, you know uh, Trump is going grinding on Obama forever. Obama fired back in a very obamaian way I don't blame him at all it's It's a dilemma for Obama on some level though because when you start going back and forth with trump you're you're in this. Trumpian name call. I mean, he just cheapens everything he touches. And rule one of the former president handbook is to try to stay out of this kind of stuff. But I thought it was appropriate, and I agreed with Obama. It's absolutely true about Trump.
1: I don't believe we're going to have a real base problem, because I think Trump's going to take care of that. But if you did think we're going to have a base turnout problem, I think Trump's attacking Obama is going to solve that for us even more. that's right. Mm -hmm. So that's one. I think it's really stupid of Trump, because I'm not sure we have this problem. But let's, for a hypothetical, say we do. You just solved it or helped mm-hmm. solve it. Mm-hmm. Two, is it smart, the second question, which is what Murph just said, is it smart for Obama to be doing what he's doing? I mean, I don't think it's smart for what Trump's doing. I don't think Obama wants to become, uh, I think it's, I would take the shot and go back under, uh, pull the hatch down and leave it alone. You've done your shot, et cetera. Yeah. I don't think you want to do it day in and day out
2: repertoire i i'm sure that i'm sure that he won't i'm sure that he won't right. you I, know? I I mean, the fact of the matter is that he has been very surgical in his comments since trump became president trump mentions obama virtually every day and obama has not taken the bait four to
1: six times in the last 96 hours yeah
2: so you know he uh and now now there is this 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 meme that uh trump is trying to develop that uh obama is uh behind the crime of the century, a crime to be uh, named later because he couldn't quite specify what it was at a press conference. But, you know, yesterday an interesting thing happened uh, in that Bob Barr, the attorney general, seemed to throw cold water on it. And he is not the guy who generally throws cold water on Trump's politicization
1: of of justice. Um, This is is crap. You know, Barr is taking a page out of Trump's playbook. Barr's in trouble for what he did on Flynn, and he's showing a shiny little bobble over here so you forget what the hell he did on Flynn. This is crap by Barr. Every time, it's like on Ukraine. When he got into trouble, he threw Giuliani out of the right. boat because the president, this is a total game player. <laughs> so Barr makes sure that he has a good table at the country club. Forget about it. Uh, you know, it's forget funny because guys, it.
0: the Trump guys <laughs> oh, are bull. the the absolute kings of the smoke bomb school of politics, which is poof, look over there, blue smoke. And then you run out the other grabbing the thing. But let, let me. No,
1: I'm not done yet, Murph. I got a lot of emotion here. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. No, I know. This is, this is,
0: no, the mic's on whole, fire. This uh, quarantining is you know, getting.
1: Bars worry that he's not going to get a good seat at the country club, that the American Bar Association is going to come out with a ruling. So he's going to clean himself up and make sure his little necktie is still nice from the Brooks brothers. Forget about it. This is a head fake. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you? You guys should be better than this.
0: He's a Zegna guy, but all right. I want to back up for a minute because there's one thing on this Obama-Trump slappy fight. I think is important. I, again, it pains me, but I'm with Rom that you know Obama took his shot and he'll back off. Because here's the one problem: if this cranks up and it's Obama versus Trump, the the neurotic Dem echo chamber will love it because now Superman has shown up to fight the evil Trumpzilla. But it diminishes Joe Biden.
1: Exactly, because you
0: got two giants going at it, and all of a sudden, oh my God, who's who's Pee Wee Herman? Yeah. So it's just it's tricky, tricky, tricky stuff. And I think Obama ought to take the win on that exchange and go away for a while, do one great speech, and that's. No, it. look,
2: I'm telling you guys, I, I my my sense is that he knows what you you have just said. I don't think that his, I don't I I don't. He's not shown an inclination to be a, a daily commentator in this thing. He will surface. He will he will surface at strategic moments and he will do stuff on social media to uh energize the democratic base but i you know he's he's not going to get uh trapped in that but we well, we were going to listen to Brahma's so eviscerated bar that I'm now embarrassed to play his... Uh, you know,
1: I, I'm not taking a lecture from two guys wearing a T-shirt that can't show up for, uh, you know, podcast. <laughs> I need to put on a button-down shirt. No, yeah, I know. I know.
2: The poor guy doesn't understand podcasts aren't on, on on television.
0: Don't tell him. Don't tell him. That's how we got him on here. We told him a million viewers.
2: You're probably wearing pants, too, aren't you, you sucker?
0: <laughs> Speak for anyway. yourself. <laughs> okay, so yeah, no, I look, I, I think the bar thing is a smoke bomb. So, what do we got next on the list? Well, let's talk about this Obamagate thing because it's very Trump. Coin a word. Feed, you know, Trump is always trying to win the Republican primary. So, he gives him an Obama chew toy. But the problem is, you know, George Lakoff, I always quote his book, Don't Think of an Elephant. And now the media is talking about Obamagate, Obamagate, Obamagate. And it's like, oh, a new scandal. What's that? That is Trump's weird, evil genius.
2: It is. It's a question and you're right that it will have some currency among his base. Uh the question is whether it will travel beyond his base. And and you make your, your point is the right one, which is his base isn't I mean, this is really the question of the whole election. Their calculation is their base is big enough. If they they can discourage a little bit of turnout among young people, uh maybe uh pick off a point or two among African Americans, Hispanic voters, uh that he can win that the that it is a mobilization exercise, not a persuasion exercise. And this right. kind of thing mobilizes his base. I don't think this is going to help him in uh, the place where he is most hurting, which is among these suburban voters. I don't think they're going to be impressed by
0: this. No, I agree. They think, you know, they, they hear Flynn. They think bartender leprechaun. It just doesn't have the currency. But it clogs up. The discussion, which is yet another thing getting in Biden's way, because he doesn't have a role in the virus to have have a platform.
1: Here's the thing, I, you know. Look, Watergate was a crime in search of a cover up. This is a cover up in search of a crime. It's just there's nothing there. It's total catnip for the base. On the other hand, and I and it's also an, again another shiny bobble over here. But I do think David's larger point, which we cannot forget, you have two different. Operative theories of this election. Trump people, there's 40 million Trump like voters who didn't vote. We got to get X percent in it. Y states to turn out that did not turn out last time. The Democratic version of the election is we got our base plus the new voters out of the suburbs, college educated women. We're actually interesting. Biden's running ahead of both Obama and Hillary Clinton in those uh, both college, suburban, mm-hmm. and female, and now older. And so the real question is base plus or just more and more base. And those are two very different campaign models and theories of the case. And one day we're going to figure out in November, which one was right.
0: But I'm a fanatic for base plus because in doing Republican races in blue states, that was always our trick because Republican base won't get you arrested. But the problem with the base model is, yeah, you run California up another two million votes, but then you're in Hillary's shoes, uh, you know, you lose the Electoral College. But you tell me, because you guys have been there, I haven't, the internal politics of the Democratic primary, the pressure on the campaign and the picking the VP politics all seem to me to be very asymmetrically strong of the base theory. That's where the incentives are. And, you know, doing the things to do base plus, you put the base in a little bit of light pain. And is a, is Biden built for that? I
2: think we will. We will. We don't know. We don't we okay. don't actually know where he's going to land. I mean, there was uh, a uh, there was a piece. And, and, Ram, you're you've been involved with the Biden campaign uh, in talking through their economic plan. Yeah. There was a piece uh, prominently placed in The Times yesterday, uh, basically saying that because of the virus, that Biden is uh, is now much more uh much more open to some of the larger uh ticket items on the progressive agenda r- relative to uh, infrastructure and climate and uh healthcare and uh and you know uh, uh, corporate governance uh, governance kind of things uh now he's saying not just uh his aim is not just to rebuild the economy but to transform it uh, that seems like a big knot. I mean, look, I think the moment may Murphy will disagree. The moment I think demands uh, big uh, and uh, uh, a big assertive steps to try and help this country recover and deal with the fault lines that we've seen in the economy and in society. But um, this is a this is a definite move in the direction of the uh, of what was the progressive agenda in the primary. <laughs> Straighten them out, Ron none of this socialism.
1: Murph, I think on the VP, we don't know who it is, but we know it's going to be an X chromosome. We know it's going to be a woman. So there is a nod to the growth of the Democrats among college-educated women voters, where actually Hillary did not do as well as she needed to. do By just saying, I'm going to have a woman, and given whether it's a senator or governor it's a, or a member of Congress, it's a nod uh, in that direction that to the base plus. Okay? To David, I would just say it's, it's interesting. Look, the moment may call for it, and I'm a big believer never allow a crisis to go to waste. But the whole primary was a couple people in our party were talking about a revolution. A couple people in our party was talking about more reform than revolution. And what Biden's now saying is, well, the post-COVID world requires a revolution. And I'm surprised because he did not win on the revolution model. He won on the reform model. And if you want a revolution, and we've talked about this a hundred times, Trump offers you a revolution. The question is, is that the right contrast, his revolution versus our revolution? Because if you've got a base plus um, theory of the case, I'm not sure revolution is going to be reassuring to Southville, Michigan, Bloomington, mm-hmm. Bloomington Michigan, uh, suburbs out of Milwaukee, the suburbs in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, i Yeah,
2: that's the danger. I, look, I think a, a lot of it has to do with how you package uh, these things, whether they're packaged as pragmatic answers to the crisis. Yeah,
1: but if you say I'm going to restructure the economy, I think that's a little. That's going to become a big, a, a bit of. I think people want to be reassured, not threatened.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with that. The sign, this thing, I think for Biden is it's the the steel Carville's old. It's the suburbs, stupid. Don't scare them. Don't scare them. Don't give Trump a handle to move those heads. And I agree with ram on the, the, the female pick is a is a base plus thing. But there are Could a lot of... Can you stop agreeing me with me? I know. Could I'm trying stop? to find... I, I, believe me. Believe me. <laughs> you're you're saying something me. ridiculous. You are I know. I know. It's bumming me you. out more than no, you. No. You guys <laughs> are like it's a
2: murder-suicide pact.
0: Believe me, believe me. There's something wrong here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go talk to my shaman about where I took the wrong turn. But, (laughs) but my point is, it's a big difference in suburb politics between Kamala Harris and uh, Klobuchar
1: or uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Here, remember this: every one of those voters, if Joe Biden does the right thing on the VP, she can go do whatever she wants. If Joe Biden does the right thing on the VP, but the wrong policies to be a lot more there 's going to yeah. be a lot more discussion at the kitchen table what the household's going to do with this election.
0: Yeah, it's all about biden I, I that is correct, but the VP is a lens to what a Biden is is my
1: point I, yeah I,
2: where where I get off from you guys is I don't think that people are going to come November view this as some transient event on the way back to whatever we were doing before. I think this thing has exposed uh, some really, really big Problems and uh, getting the country back on its feet and also making sure that the country stays on its feet is going to be a principal concern. So having a good a few good, solid uh, and meaningful ideas that people can grab onto that say we're not just going back. We're not. These are not palliatives. We're actually trying to deal with some stuff. I think that would be important.
1: That, that's why I'm for the rebuild message is an affirmative thing. I agree with you. You can't just say hey we're going we're just restoring what we once had and this was an aberration but I you got to package it in a way that is reassuring not threatening that's all But what yeah. what's the big
0: miracle idea obviously a big infrastructure bond deal of some yeah. type to to do that
1: avoiding the old shovel ready uh, pit I'll give you what? example you paying p- people are home they're going to be unemployed for a while you're not going back to JC Penny you're not going back to Let's, let's use the time while you're home. We'll pay for you to become a computer coder. You can do it in six months. We'll pay you to become a certificate and set a goal. We want 3 million new computer coders, 3 million new people with cybersecurity credentials. There will be no shortage of need for those tasks because J.C. Penny workers, Neiman Marcus workers, the restaurants, those jobs are not coming back for a very, very long time. And making sure that while people are on unemployment, They're getting skilled up so they have a chance at a better and stronger future and one that will last uh, their lifetime. That's what I would be doing. And we've never lost a battle, never lost a challenge by investing in either America or Americans. Never. And I'm saying, that's my view is we're going to come out of this stronger, and if I was trying to watch out... This this is is really
2: interesting. This is going to be an interesting discussion because that is... I mean, Rom comes out of a very definite Place in the Democratic Party. And I mean, and you know, that is that would be a what
1: that you by investing in people's education to bad things.
2: <laughs> Shut up a second.
1: I don't, I didn't say, uh, oh, that's it. This is the last time I'm coming back.
2: I know I'm not saying this pejoratively, but this that is a that is a uh, new Democrat <laughs> kind of approach to that issue. There are there are no there are questions about the porousness of the social safety net, the social compact that people are feeling right now uh, that go to, you know, the availability of health care and child care so they can go back to work. And, you know, there are things that I think that are also going to want that people are going to want
0: to see addressed. Well, that's the that's the big question. Do do the Dems take their social justice agenda and roll it up as the recovery thing because they think they're good ideas? Their time has now definitely come, or do you go a little more market based? I mean, I like the idea Ron was pitching because I'm, of course, more more in that zone. Uh, do the Dem because the Republicans will always say, "You guys always take all your stuff, and when there's a crisis, you put a new bow on it and you try to get us to fund it." Now we're three
1: trillion in already. Um, but here, here, here's the one thing I know that you guys don't know, okay, which is a quarter of all costs for infrastructure are for time and labor around people using it. Kids aren't in school. Build a new science lab. So when they come back to school, the science lab is a modern science lab. People are at home. We pay them a bonus on top of unemployment. Do the bonus plus, which is for skills. I'm all for more housing. I'm for more social safety net. I'm for more federally qualified community health care clinics that work on preventive. But my view is when you're done and JC penny isn't opening up and Neiman Marcus is going to shut down half their stores, what have we done for that person for the last nine months to help them get ready for that?
0: Oh, Christ tax, he's running for governor.
1: <laughs> I'm not <laughs> No I'm just Christ. teasing you around. No, but I think this is
2: really this is gonna be and I we don't we're not gonna resolve it here and I wanna get onto one other thing. But this is gonna be really important because we do have it's not just that people are being knocked out of their jobs by the virus. Even before the virus, we had yes. people working in jobs that weren't paying a living wage. We had people who were having to work two and three jobs uh because of the what what has happened in our economy. And the question is what do we do about those structural things that have made these people tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of Americans of Uh, uh, you know, all over this country that have made them more vulnerable. And I think that there is going to, you know, it is going to be a complicated thing for Biden to land this in such a way that is responsive to those questions, but doesn't trip the wires that you guys are warning
1: about uh, with with
2: these suburban voters. I want to
1: say one last thing. If you look back when everybody talks about the New Deal, the fact is the New Deal, there are two stages of it. And you look to the latter part, which is about Social Security, the GI Bill. That's your North Star, not the first part. My view is go back and let's basically raise the floor on the new deal, which is guarantee in and around retirement security, guarantee in and around health care security and guarantee in and around the education of your children all the way through post high school. And that would be the most important thing we could do that is both fundamental and structural. So those Elements that come to a middle class life have more foundational support than they did pre the crisis.
0: Now, you guys, your friend Mitch McConnell just texted me with a question. He's a loyal listener, and he <laughs> said, "How in blazes?" I'm trying to put on a Kentucky vernacular. Are we going to pay for this? We're three yeah. trillion in. We're soaked with debt, and you guys want to open how? you yeah, no, I'm say it. I know he, what the apparently point is.
2: his his uh, his uh, his key got stuck. He didn't text you when they were passing the tax cut and everybody was complaining about, uh, you know, people were warning that they would expand deficits and everybody blew right through that. The fact of the matter is we are in a, uh, it is self-imposed, but we are in a second Great Depression. And you're going back
0: to the debates of the 1930s. Well, no, no, no. Fiscal policy is a big debate. So you avoid hyperinflation. We have a debt to GDP ratio now approaching World War II. I'm just saying you can't ignore that part of the equation. And you got to talk about taxes. You
2: know who? You know who disagrees with you? the 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 chairman of the Fed disagrees with you, and most economists disagree with you because right now the threat isn't hyperinflation. Right now, the we're we're in a depression, and there haven't been signs of hyperinflation. We heard that, you know, in the last decade as well. I'm not suggesting that there is no limit to uh, what what well, that's what I'm saying. What we can do, but the fact is that we have enormous problems right now that that unless we solve them unless we are aggressive about solving them uh you know we're going to have an enduring crisis here and we're and well, we're, ne- but and course, we're ne- but- never going to get to worrying about inflation
1: the one thing that you've got to take out of history murphy is and i'm trying to make sure you and i disagree because i really am getting nervous now <laughs> is and the fact is uh the uh in the th- late 30s when Roosevelt switched off the New Deal and became, uh, and, the, uh, and became a fiscal conservative in the 37 period, we went, dipped back, and had uh, unemployment start going up. It didn't actually get solved. We go into the war at 10.9% unemployment. The entire decade, in, uh, unemployment never went below 10%. But Roosevelt had a double dip. And it occurred when he started to put on his green eye shades, just like you're talking about. Okay, all right. Yeah, we, we, do disagree. We, do,
0: <laughs> we do disagree on this. Here, Here is just yes. one point, and then we'll go on. Because what this I'm is, saying is, is not— This freaking
2: Hacks on Tap, okay? This is not a seminar on economics. No, so hey, Professor— Man, I, I want to
0: get back to the hacky stuff. I know, stuff. I know, but I just got five pages of marks from you. i, I got to get a page <laughs> here to undo it to our poor <laughs> listeners. First of all, the feds are going to have to pick up the huge state crisis and unemployment benefits because they can't afford it. So there's a massive uh, federal bailout coming. That'll be another couple trillion dollars. And we have to keep unemployment benefits running longer. That's the first line of defense. Then you got to rebuild the healthcare system for poor people because this thing has shown. That that's a huge hole. So my point is there's trillions of spending coming, and part of it is not just talking about the spending, but the sacrifices that are going to have to be made mm-hmm. to pay for it, because we yeah. can't print unlimited money.
1: I'll give you two big ideas that would free up money at the states and have a shared resp- sense of responsibilities.
0: Crack down on public employee unions? Okay, sorry. Yeah, Couldn't okay. Resist.
1: No, the, uh, it's, it's a free shot. The fact is the federal government should take over all Medicaid and all unemployment insurance. And the states, once freed up from having to pay their half share, should, have, should be directed to use that money for either education or infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to have this 50-50 on either Medicaid or unemployment insurance. The feds should absorb that. And then you would set up new platforms, regardless of whether you live in Mississippi or you live in Missouri, you're going to have the same kind of health care benefits and quality health care. And when there's unemployment, you're going to have the same type of benefit. And that would be a right federal-state split. Get the states out of that stuff and get them now investing again in education and in infrastructure.
0: Yeah, no, there's an argument for it. You just, you take Alabama and you zero them up to the Illinois costs. So I don't know if you make any money, but I, I there's an argument. All right,
2: that. hacks, hacks, Moving hacks, on. hacks, hacks. We got to stop, man. There's politics to talk about here. And, and you know, Rom will, he wants to exercise those policy muscles that have been, atrophied in his one year out of office here. So do it on your own time, man.
1: How about the COVID uh, being stuck at home here?
2: I know he's obviously arrested. All right.
0: We're going to calm the mayor down for a minute and go pay some bills and do a little commerce from our sponsors. We'll be right back.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Dropbox Business. Think about the people you work with. You're all supremely different which is why Dropbox designed a new workspace where whatever works best for you works best for your team, where every file and app connect. Tasks not only assign work, but also help organize it, where you can create new decks, spreadsheets, and even launch video calls without ever needing to leave your workspace. That's Dropbox Business, a space for teamwork your way. Visit dropbox.com slash teams at work for a 30-day free trial.
2: I want to ask you about China, and this is the big, big communist. This is the other big uh, play <laughs> no that uh, that that we see from Trump. Uh, he's got his ads up. We've talked about those that are mostly about China, partly about Biden's mental acuity. Now he's doing the WHO thing, cutting them off weirdly in the middle of a pandemic in order to make a point uh, about China. And this is clearly and, you know, I'm sitting down here in Arizona. I saw Martha McSally is now running China ads to 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 kind of get in the draft of uh, of Trump's uh, argument. This is this is how where do you guys see the efficacy of that strategy? Is, Is is that a base only strategy or does it have
0: any potential beyond the base? I think he can score on it, but it's a loser for Biden to go down a who-can-bash-China-more rabbit hole with Trump. Biden's got to get it back to the meat-and-potato economic issues. Trump's incompetent. He's going to cost you all kinds of disasters. He can't take us out of here. Because Trump is always going to be able to out-China bash China. And if you're in a UAW hall in Sterling Heights, Michigan, the guy saying screw the Chinese is going to do better than the guy with the thoughtful bilateral plan. And that's always going to be Trump.
2: Yeah, my my argument is that that the the argument should be that Nobody's been weaker on China in some ways than than Trump. Uh, You know, he was the one who was defending China at the beginning of this and saying they were doing a great job uh, on the virus. He's also created voids all over the world that the Chinese have filled. He is going to end up being the gift that keeps on giving to China for generations to come because of all the strategic opportunities. That he's given them, and uh, I, you know, I, I think there's a way to be muscular on China without falling into the trap that you suggest, Mike is
0: is real. You know, yeah, no. I look, I like that line. I would attack with that, and then I'd pivot pivot to meat and potatoes because the t- topic yeah, of the election yeah, yeah, should yeah, yeah. be China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent.
1: If this election is about China, uh, who who's got the bigger stick? Uh, Biden's not going to win that. This is about neutralizing and moving. Right. Yeah.
2: No, I agree with both you guys on that. I just think he needs a more muscular push off line uh, than than
1: than we've uh, than we've seen. So far. you're going to find out you're going to find out these wet markets are the cause of it. And, and Joe Biden should be calling for the permanent close of them before Donald Trump or China do anything about them.
2: Well, Trump won't because he's still on to the uh, lab as being the.
0: Uh, yes, the cause exactly. Of it. He's, he's the
2: last one there.
0: We're going to step away from the conversation for one minute here to do some business with our sponsors.
2: So Murphy, Brendan uh, writes in and asks, we've seen Trump's approval rating dip during his scandals, but after a month or so of good behavior by Trump, and that's in quotes, it always reverts back to the baseline. Why don't his scandals result in permanent damage to his approval rating if respondents are going to flip to disapprove only to revert back to approve once they see the coast is clear? Isn't that just lack of principle by these people evidence of faux outrage? And doesn't it make conducting approval polls Sisyphean? Whoa. What is the psychology behind approval ratings? In other words, do these what do these approval ratings mean? Let me, Brendan. Let me help you out here. What do these approval ratings mean, Murphy? Yeah,
0: I, I want to thank Brendan for that question. I normally never answer a question with the word "foe" in it, but in Sisyphean too. So clearly, unless it's a, spelled F O E. An update from the sociology department here at uh, Hunter College, Brendan. So my theory on this is, one, Trump wiggles between crappy polling numbers and really crappy polling numbers. They're never good. So there's never any miracle comeback. I think most of the, quote, scandals have been Washington food fight stuff. They offend me because I believe in the rule of law, and I have a thousand and one reasons to hate Trump. I've hated him since 92, back in New Jersey when I was working for Whitman. Um, but... This is the first Trump scandal, this pandemic, which is rattling real people's lives. It's not something where cable yakers are debating whether Flynn talked to uh, Comey about this, about that. This this is the real deal. So this one, I think, is drawing a lot more blood. We will see. I think Trump may get a sugar bump in another month as people go back before wave two. We'll see there be a predictable panic among that. But fundamentally, this, this crisis has put pain in the country in a real way and is a reclock unlike the others. Ahriman writes, I had a question about campaign ads. A number of academic papers have shown that attack ads are almost irrelevant in changing voters' minds. Are attack ads ineffective because the public is good at tuning them out because they're all the same? Or are they bad because they're political and it's hard to get people to even care? I mean, research says they're clearly not working, so why spend precious resources on them?
2: Well, there's another interpretation, which is that academic papers are all wet. We could make that We could make that argument. Yeah, let's go negative on him. Here. Look, I think, first of all, in, in presidential elections, I think that there are limitations to the impact of ads because ads are most effective in places where people uh, and with people who aren't getting a lot of other information. When you get into a presidential race, and particularly the, lo- the deeper you get into them, the more information you're getting. But I do think that they have, particularly with low-information voters, um, these attack ads can be effective, and it would be a mistake uh, to uh, assume otherwise. I think they 're particularly effective around this stage in an election when you don 't have wall to wall coverage mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of campaigns I actually don 't know of too many ads that have made much of a difference in a macro sense after uh, Labor Day, but they can make a difference uh, with uh, targeted groups of voters uh, both on television. Uh, targeted by, uh, guided by data and research, and uh, and uh, on digital. So, um, I I think that uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, don't read academic papers. Follow <laughs> real life.
0: You sound like a Republican.
1: <laughs> First of all, with right. unless the professor's tenure, don't read the paper. So, uh, if they're a TA, forget about it. Second of all, early on negative ads work much better. By the time you get, I don't know, Labor Day and forward, the the free media takes over the narrative and targeted stuff in states among certain constituencies still works. I've never seen, I've not seen that negative ads don't work. I actually think everybody believes they don't work or don't want to believe that they work. They, in fact, are very effective tools.
2: I think the thing that is that are the things that are underestimated are the impact of positive ads at times. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think Biden is lacking right now is filling in his profile, filling in that the gaps of knowledge about him before Trump does that with his negative attacks. So, um, you know, I think right now Biden needs a, a two track uh campaign, one that tells mm-hmm. his story uh and lifts up those qualities of his that are most uh, meaningful in terms of their comparative advantage over Trump in this moment. And the other is to keep on Trump's ass. So um, uh,
0: anyway, but, you know, in fairness, Murphy and I are old ad men. So yeah, no, no. Well, all I can say is, what do we really know about questionnaire error, man? The question came in through the internet without credentials. Is he a felon? Is she a crook? Why won't they tell us? Araman's question raises a lot more questions than it answers. You can't trust Araman.
2: There you go. That's the art of the negative ad. And you saw it happen right here. My Raider Live. That
0: was free on Hex Mike on Tap. Murphy, ladies you guys and are right, though. Ads are, campaigns are about a battle for new information. Early new information is important and ads are one of many powerful ways to do that. Nina wants to know what advice would you give young people
2: who want to get involved with politics? And I'm adding at the end of this, and who uh, aren't prone to being larger than life, uh, swearing, uh, crazy
1: ass uh, personalities. I have no advice for you then. No, I. Uh, <laughs> here, two things. One is uh, that was a no one. One is uh, there's a difference between politics and public service. And uh, if you want to get involved in uh, pure politics, I would say stay local uh, and get involved with what's going on in your neighborhood, your community, your city, or your state and hook yourself up to a campaign, whether that's for governor or mayor or state rep, et cetera. And that gets you into the bloodstream pretty quickly. So wherever you're living, don't think nationally; think locally. That's number one. Number two, if you're thinking, I do believe everybody should do some form of public service. And there's a lot of different ways to uh, do that. And if you're ever thinking of public service, I would start with the neighborhood or community group, whether that's on a local school board, uh, environmental group, Uh, a crime uh, anti uh, or victims group. There's a lot of different things to do. And I still believe uh, in that public service is one of the highest callings. um, And I think it's worthwhile thinking about But in Pure politics, go get involved in a local campaign.
2: Good advice. Very good.
1: I remember when I was leaving uh, college, a lot of people said, oh, go to Washington. And I said, no, I want to go home. I want to go to Chicago. And I think that was a big, I didn't realize how big a decision it would have on my life and career in politics, but it was a smarter call than getting in the Washington machine.
0: You know, it kills me to finish by agreeing with you again, damn it. But you know, <laughs> kids always come up to me and say, how do I get to Washington? I go, no, no, no city hall or a state house. She will learn more a lot faster. You know, yeah. it's totally better.
1: All three of us are examples of that.
0: We should also point out that there are a lot of
2: ways to influence the course of things. And some are campaigns, some are, holding office or serving an office holder there's also journalism there's activism there are all kinds of ways to make a difference and honestly we need you now more than ever nina so i hope that you choose one of those paths and
0: and follow it
1: but just don't write an academic paper (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah exactly practical politics learn something and now we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor All right, it's time for last call. Last call. All right, Murph, you 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 start. Well, I got a couple of questions from from listeners uh, that I bump into uh, out here and the virtual world as I am quarantined, uh, about the special elections we just had. So here, here's a quick review of those. Wisconsin, Republicans won a safe district, but like almost all the time under the Trump uh, regime, we underperformed. Bad signal. Now, a lot of Republicans are excited that we won the special election north of L.A. in the 25th district. And I got to say— To some friends of mine who were involved in that at the uh, committees and other where, uh, congratulations. That's a swing district. And uh, our candidate, Garcia, won the special. But careful about specials, especially in a time of the virus. The real question, the real barometer will be what happens in that district in a general election. And can the D-trip straighten out the flawed Democratic candidate? So we will see. But a salute to Garcia for pulling off a tough one. I want to take a moment to
2: say a word about the demonstrating in front of the state capitol in my home state, Rahm's home state of Illinois, who are holding up posters with, depicting Governor Pritzker as Hitler with swastikas on their poster. First of all, J.B. Pritzker is is Jewish. In fact, he helped found a Holocaust museum here in Illinois. He is doing his best to try and save lives and it is profane to be out there. I support your right to express yourselves, but you are way, way out of line and um it was kind of sickening. So that's my last call. I had to get it off my chest.
1: Can I get a last call? Yeah, of course. Yeah, go. No, my last call, I think it's I think it's really dumb to call certain people essential and certain people non essential. I think everybody's essential, Every whether even if you're a parent and not, quote-unquote, working outside the house, your role is really essential, and I think we should actually stop using these terms to define people by certain qualities and other people as if they're not of value, and we should actually start adopting a language. Everybody has something to contribute to the future. Yeah,
2: I, I hear here to that, and I would say let's not just adopt language that reflects that, but let's also adopt. Policies that reflect that. Okay,
0: guys. Yeah, damn it, I agree.
2: <laughs> great to. uh Yeah, wonderful. To have Ram. you on, Ram?
0: Great
1: chatting. We'll, guys. Uh,
2: we'll see you again soon. I hope. Back see you, Murphy.
1: Week. Hey, have I told, have I told you guys my view of bar yet?
2: Yeah, no, no. Let's let's <laughs> yeah. get another hour on that. We're going to put that on the Hacks on Taps extras for people to <laughs> yeah, listen yeah. to in case they want to hear it a fourth and fifth time. We'll start, see you later, Start brother. talking.
0: We're recording. Really, we promise. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> well, bye. <laughs>